and you just sit down and you're like, why am I doing this? And then there's other times where you understand the overall mission and you're creating jobs and you're feeding families and you're mm-hmm. you're doing something that's so much greater than whatever problem is on your screen, right? I think that that's an important framework is there's many times in my personal journey, I can think of times where I wanted to just give up or, you know, I was so discouraged by something major that that happened. And a week later, we get into Whole Foods nationally or something major happens. And that's really, you know, in my opinion, God's way of kind of giving you what you need when you absolutely need it. And Some people call it luck. I don't call it luck. You know, I call it, it's really opportunity and it's preparation. You know, we didn't just get lucky to get into Whole Foods. It was a two-year process. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands. From developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I am so excited to have David Habib as my guest today. He is the founder and CEO of Yo Mamas, and I am going to let him talk all about the brand and how we founded it. So welcome to the podcast, David. I'm really happy to have you. Thank you, Christy. It's great to be here and thanks for having me. Yeah. So talk a little bit about Yo Mamas and then I also want to hear about your background and how you wound up founding a brand like this and what's going on with it. Absolutely, Christy. So we can go back in history to my upbringing and my mom was a wonderful cook, but really had a unique way of, of bringing people around the table, you know, different cultures, different backgrounds. And our communication was really around food. And that was really inspiring to me as I was growing up. Family dinner was never missed. And I think that that's an important piece of my upbringing. But more so, I think food was really used as a communication tool within my family and a way to to share memories and share ideas around the table. So as I got older, I moved to the DC area. I'm originally from, from Florida. And when I was in the DC area, I was missing that kind of home touch around food. And that was really important to me. I was eating out a lot. I was not really feeling well. And I quickly started looking at, at what was in the grocery stores and what was in my pasta sauce and my salad dressings. And ultimately it was ingredients that you know I couldn't pronounce. And there were a lot of different things in there that my mom never used in her cooking. So that was really the the start of our idea and our mission, you know, really focus around the idea that, you know, no one makes better food than your own mama. And yeah. moms have a very unique, innate gift of, of really gathering families and gathering people around the table. And ultimately that's what I was inspired to do. And as a brand, our mission is exactly that. You know, we want to bring people around the table through healthy and delicious foods using only ingredients that mom has in her pantry. So tell me how long ago you started the brand. 
I left my corporate job. I was working as a consultant in DC. It was a great job. I learned a lot. I was 24 when I started the company. So I knew I was young, but I knew that I ultimately wanted to take a risk and that was the right time to you know do it. So I left my job in January, 2017 and relaunched the business Mother's Day of 2017. Oh, was that on purpose? Yes. Yes. yes that's nice. <laughs> that's a great part of your story. I love it. It's such a tribute. Yeah. to what matters to you. That's really cool. So 24. Wow. So you knew relatively quickly early on that the corporate world was not for you. Exactly. Yeah. I knew I always wanted to start something, but I didn't know what I wanted necessarily to start. So as I was working in corporate, I knew it wasn't the right fit for me long-term. And I wanted to do something that I can sell or reach to a lot of different people. I've always been a big foodie. I love to eat. I love to smell the foods. I love to cook foods. You know, I think that that was uh, part of the you know interest, obviously, in into food. And then the consumer packaged goods world still is going through this kind of unique renaissance sure revolution is. where people are really aware of what they're eating. People are aware of food labels. People are aware of ingredients and different types of diets. So I think that that's really what sparked my interest is that the industry was definitely going through a transformation and, and very much still is today. I was going to say, I think it's a, a sadly, it's kind of a slow one because this is a tough country to change, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a lot of bad food habits to change, but it's so awesome. So first tell me about all the products. So it's, I know you have tomato sauce, obviously that's probably your best original product. Yes. And your best seller. Correct. Well, and what else? So we, uh, we do pasta sauces, we do salad dressings and we do condiments. Okay. And then we also have two oils as well, but really for the assortment, it's focused in on fast moving consumable items. Yep. So um, specifically when I was uh, using Trader Joe's pasta sauce or some of the other brands, I was focused on what items we can develop that customers tend to use quickly yes. and ultimately ones that were ripe for disruption. I think everything in the store, you know, looked the same. It was the same kind of you know, boring label with tomatoes yeah. and vines. All of the ingredients were the same. They were all loaded with sugar and then sodium. So that was ultimately what, what we sought out to do with our tomato-based uh, sauces. And we quickly extended our reach into salad dressings and then condiments as well with that same framework of only using ingredients that mom has in her pantry. So talk about how you did it because it's not easy, obviously. And there are a lot of brands and a lot of people trying to start brands. And, you know, there are, I'd say probably more locally, but there's a lot of different tomato sauce brands. So how did you get distribution? How did you decide how to scale. I mean, I know you're not, you're not a giant brand yet, but you've scaled a lot and you're definitely in a lot of great places. So how'd you do that? Yeah. You know, it's really a framework that I like to use starting small, thinking big and scaling quickly and in food and in really anything that's a consumer-based product, you have to really figure out scale and you have to figure out the economics behind that. So it was very challenging for us in the beginning. You know, um, we didn't have any outside funding. We still don't. Everything was very much bootstrapped and really focused in on how can we make the best quality product that tastes good, but also has all of the health benefits. And our number one priority since day one and still is today is on product taste. You know, you can have the healthiest product on the market, but if it doesn't taste good, 
but you know that customers aren't going to come back for it. So, and really wanting to build that relationship around a fun, unique, different brand that was clean on the outside and clean on the inside was, was what we wanted to do. So it really started with understanding the ingredients, understanding the supply chain, and ultimately, you know, how can we produce this and scale it? So I knew I didn't have any manufacturing background, you know, that's not my my skill set. So that was a really challenging process, I'd say, for the first three years was to find the right manufacturers that believed in the brand, that believed in what we were trying to do, but would also allow us to produce without, you know, adding in all of the junk and sodium and citric acids and phosphoric acids and potassium sorbates and all these things that, you know, my mom obviously never cooked with and most moms mm-hmm. don't. So I think that that was uh, the most challenging piece in the beginning and then really understanding our supply chain. So we own all of our supplier relationships. We don't rely on our manufacturers to source for us. And that's really allowed us to build a unique model where, you know, we work with the same tomato growers. We work with the same olive oil suppliers. You know, we get all of our fresh onions from the same place. So Mm -hmm. it's really allowed us to, you know, ultimately grow our supplier relationship and build those relationships as, as we've also grown. How did you know what to do? (laughs) Um, You you had experience in some things, but you knew you wanted to do this. So how did you know where to start? Yes, the uh, school of hard knocks, Christy. <laughs> a, lot of, yeah, a lot of mistakes, a lot of expensive errors, but really throughout that process, I think that you naturally find the right people and the right partners that believe in you and believe in the brand. And just as importantly, you're able to understand that not everyone has the best interest for you in mind, and not everyone should be on your ship. Right. So we got messed up by a lot of different, you know, label suppliers or co-packers or, you know, people who were trying to take advantage of us in the beginning because they kind of see, oh, you know, everyone comes with their mom's recipe or their grandma's Mm -hmm. recipe. But what it takes to really grow and build a brand is a tremendous, tremendous effort. And most people can't do that or most people don't survive that entire process. So a lot of suppliers when you're a very early brand, know that, and they, you know, give you crazy prices and you don't know any better than to accept those. Right. Right. And that's where I think as experience and time will tell you, you will quickly find out, you know, who has your best interest in mind and who doesn't. And those people that, you know, took advantage of us in those early days are not people who we choose to work with today. And those who gave us a chance and and really saw that long-term vision are those exact partnerships that we've built and grown with. That's awesome. Talk about the fact that you haven't raised capital or taken outside capital. Is that on purpose or is that just because you're not ready yeah. So, you know, we're definitely open to it. You know, I think for us, it's it's really about finding the right partner. And so early on, you know, we've, we've always been focused on our product, on our team, on really building out the right economics and the right infrastructure to building a sustainable long-term growth brand. And, you know, to be honest, uh, you know, we've been able to do it as a bootstrapped approach, you know, reinvesting back into the company, really focused in, you know, big scale and big growth. And today we work with about 17,000 stores nationwide. So most major retailers, uh, you know, Walmart, 
Sam's Club, Whole Foods, Sprout, HEB, Publix, Harris Teeter, you know, really great partnerships. But that was very much a heavy lift for a company that doesn't have, you know, access to a tremendous amount of capital, especially in the packaged foods world where you have to invest a lot into trade spend and into really driving promotions for, for customers to ultimately try you and love you and come back. So you have distribution in quite a few places. How are you finding keeping up with that, making sure that your velocities are where they need to be? What do you guys do to make sure that you don't lose your distribution? Absolutely. So focusing in on, you know, we call it the, the, the kind of Walmart model of on time and in full. Before you scale, before you agree into any retailer, you absolutely have to make sure that you have the right finance and the right infrastructure and the right inventory. Because if you're launching into 1,500 stores and you can't keep up, then the retailer has 55 other brands that will gladly take your spot, right? That's been really important for us. And then secondly, I would say trade spend. And that's a really important term that's used in the retail world. And uh, you have to invest. You know, most people think that once the product is in the store, you could sit back and relax. But Christy, that's the opposite, right? Exactly. That is when the work starts, right? You have to get it off of the shelf. You have to do that. And the only way you can really do that as a new and emerging brand is through demos and sampling and making sure that the product is on promo because when you're on promotion, customers are more inclined to want to give you a try. And then third, and would say this has been really key for us is our online growth. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. We did that early on in 2017 with a focus on the Amazon channel. That's been a very strategic account for us. We have the number one best-selling pasta sauce, number one best-selling pizza sauce, number one in ketchup, number one in buffalo sauce as well. So a lot of work. There's a tremendous amount of uh, team effort and planning that goes behind that, as well as investment. Amazon is a very important customer and to be able to to appear on page one or to be able to to really grow a customer relationship, there's a lot of behind the scenes that most customers don't really understand. So that online focus for us, Christy, uh, was really important to our retail growth because as we grew more online, we grew more on the retail side and uh, continues to be a focus for us with that omni-channel growth. Do you sell DTC in addition to Amazon from your we own We do, site? yes. So we originally launched our website on Wix back in the day. Um, and in 20, 2019, we moved to Shopify and has been a fantastic platform for us to build that direct-to-consumer relationship. But yes, we do direct-to-consumer. We also do different dropship for other types of retailers like QVC, uh, oh, who wow. we on uh, TV ever so so often. That's amazing. What's been the most challenging for you of all the things? I mean, there's so many things you have to think about, and I'm sure you've built a great team, which I'm curious to know about as well. But what's the biggest challenge that you guys face? For us, Christy, it's really you know making sure that we have the right infrastructure to continuously support growth. So our approach has always been to say yes and figure it out later. But there comes a point in the business where when you say yes to an opportunity that's so large or so big, you really need to make sure that you have the right foundation to be able to support that and grow. 
So that's been, say, a challenge because it's very hard sometimes to say no to growth and to say no to big opportunities. But you really want to make sure that the company and the team is ultimately ready for it. And then secondly, you know, it goes along those lines. Uh, Cash flow, of course, you know, we're a very inventory heavy business. You know, we have to have inventory. It has to be here, has to be ready to go because when the customer orders, we like to turn it over quickly and, and ultimately get it. Our speed to shelf has to be, you know, perfect. So with that, you know, we're sourcing materials, we're purchasing everything, we're working with our great manufacturing partners. And, you know, we have payment terms there, but then we're also storing inventory and then retailers don't pay you for 45 to 60 days. And then you have the whole deduction side of the business, you know, where you have to spend a tremendous amount of time and effort going through deductions, disputing them, making sure that you're getting paid for what you ultimately agreed to. So those are always challenges for us as we scale, but Developing different systems to be able to manage those better has been key for us. You know, it's so interesting. I've talked to so many brands and work with some that have been in the same situation where they got this big opportunity and they all of a sudden had all this distribution and they couldn't support it. They didn't realize what it was actually going to mean because, you know, I think when you start a brand, you're like, I want to be everywhere. I want everyone to know about me. I want to be in every store. But then when you don't support it and you lose distribution, it's worse than not even having gotten it in the first place, because getting it back is harder. Yeah. So I think that having the patience must be so hard, right? To make sure you say no when you're not ready, even though you want to be in places must be really challenging. Absolutely. And, you know, I'd say, Christy, it's also the retail business has a way of kind of naturally giving you a timeline. Typically retailers are only on category reviews once a year or sometimes every other year. So, you know, if you're trying to pitch a big retailer and you don't get in, you know, today, then your next chance won't be until next year. So you kind of have a year to sharpen the business, sharpen your your growth and then focus as well. But, you know, retail doesn't move as fast on the category review side as most people think. You can't just call up a retailer and say, hey, you know, I want to be on on shelf and we're going to be there, you know, I'll start shipping to you in four weeks. There's a, a very lengthy process between yeah. category reviews, category feedback, distribution setup, vendor setup, vendor paperwork, inventory building, shipping, deductions and free fills and slotting charges, which, uh, you know, make you want to cry, but are part of the game. And then ultimately, you know, really focused in on that trade spend investment, getting people into the store, driving through online and social media, driving through, you know, video work, and ultimately making sure that the product is supported and and the product moves. It's so incredible, all the things you're talking about. Like, I'm wondering if this was true for you. Like, you wanted to start a brand because you wanted to bring people better food and you knew that we weren't eating the right things and you wanted to be part of a solution and honor your mom and all that stuff. And all the things you're talking about have so little to do with that, right? They have to do with <laughs> so many things that mostly people don't even think about when they're considering starting a brand. So did you have to learn all those things as you went along? Did you build a team that already knew some of those things? Like, how did you do it? It goes back to that school of hard knocks. You know? <laughs> I think getting on the sales floor for me was the most important learning mechanism, honestly. Yeah. And, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't know what a distributor was when I even right. started this. You know, I didn't know all the KHEs and UNFIs. I didn't understand how 
the actual business worked. And I have a business background. So I think that that was helpful in some ways, but understanding that there's many levels between you and the end customer, you know, there's you, there's the distributor, there's the retailer, and then there's the customer and everyone has to make money along those lines. So I would say, you know, a lot of errors and mistakes. Our first jar of pasta sauce, Christy, cost us $5.23 to produce. You know, it's the same same model that we use today. Fresh tomatoes, fresh basil, fresh onion, fresh garlic, no added sugar, low in sodium. You know, we have our beautiful white, white label and our white cap. But ultimately, when I took that jar to market, And I demoed for 60 days and sold every single last one of them in the retail stores. We were retailing for $16 a jar. So it doesn't matter how good the product is. If the economics don't make sense, you're not going to be successful. You know, it has to be competitive and the customer has to be able to afford it, right? No one's going to buy or want to buy a $16 jar of pasta sauce, no matter how good it is and no matter how much time it'll, it'll ultimately save you. So I tell this to other entrepreneurs in the space is you need to work backwards. You need to go from your retail price your desired retail price, you know, what is your competition selling at? You need to build in a 30 to 40% margin for the retailer. You need to build in a 20 to 30% margin for the distribution company and your supply chain. And you also have to build a, a gross margin for the company to be able to support the business, to be able to grow a wonderful team, to you know be able to pay for overhead and all of the things that come with running a business. And that gets you to your target number. And when you see that target number, scary, for, right? Absolutely. I mean, when I saw that, I was terrified, but that was really a driving force for us. And I knew that we had two decisions at that time. Decision A, which we did not do, was to either you know start sourcing different ingredients and start to uh, deteriorate the product quality, which I knew was not the right long-term play, obviously, because one, it doesn't go into the reason why we're in business is to give, you know, wonderful products that are healthy and taste good that are clean and using only ingredients that mom has in her pantry. Um, Plus that would just put you in with 99% of the other brands on the shelf or two, you focus in on scaling. And by scaling, you can really drive those unit economics down because you're no longer buying 10,000 jars, you're buying 10 million jars, right? You're no longer buying, um, you know, 10,000 pounds of onions, you're buying 3 million pounds. So that's really where, you know, economies of scale come to play. But you know, you have to build the distribution before you can get there, right? So keeping overhead low and, you know, really focusing in on reinvesting into the business was really key. And, you know, I think that that's an important piece to any startup is to keep your overhead low and get on the sales floor because that's where you learn everything. That's where you know, you see how customers respond. Remember our first labels, our ingredient text was too small and people were like yep. looking at their images. So it was a great ingredient statement. There's no reason why it should be small, but those are the things that you have to get on the sales floor and learn and constantly iterate in order for you to su- succeed in a very product polluted world. Yeah. I'm curious about your category. So you have sauces and dressings and ketchups. 
your competitors are probably cross category, right? Because most sauce brands don't have dressings and ketchups. I think maybe, I don't even know. I mean, Muti has ketchup and things, but they don't really have sauce and Rayo's has sauce, but they don't really have dressing. So how did you come up with your product lineup? And then do you have to think about all the competitors differently per category? Absolutely. Yeah. There's some larger brands like the Primal Kitchens of the world yep. who yep. who do so many different categories and and that's one strategy. And then you have other brands like the Rayos who really just sold pasta sauce for 25 years and now they're just really starting to dive into pastas and lasagnas and, yep. Yep. and those types of things. So for us as a position in the brand, we've always been named Yo Mama's Foods for that purpose. You know, we have a vision to develop many different items, but we want to do it when the time is right. And we're looking at categories that are right for disruption and right for changes. And this is, I think, a thing that I had to learn is there's definitely a right time for everything. You know, you don't want to do too much too quickly, or then you start to get big, but you're starting to spread yourself too wide and you're not making impact. And then you start focusing in on, you know, pancake mixes or uh, right, you know, right, right. other things when your core business is actually pasta sauce or yeah. salad dressings or condiments. And if you're not focused on growing that, then, you know, you start to lose the momentum. So uh, we still have big goals to develop different categories and different products, but we're also really focused in on our core assortment today, making sure that we're making the most impact and really showing the retailers that, that we can support category growth and that we can be their market leader for premium, better for you items. Amazing. It's such a great story. I want to ask you a question. What's your favorite thing about being an entrepreneur, being a founder? I'm going to ask you your favorite and then your least favorite. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd say uh, I really enjoy problem solving. So Sounds small like business. that's a very important quality. Yes. <laughs> small business, small problems, big business, big problems, right? So your problems last year are a piece of cake to your problems this year and your problems next year are going to be far, far worse. So I enjoyed that piece, <laughs> but more so, I think when you look at problems as an opportunity, that's when you start to meet really creative people. And that's where you start to think differently. And that's where innovation really comes from. And, you know, we have a fantastic team here and everyone has, you know, different skill sets and they think very differently than me. And I think that that's really important trait as an entrepreneur and something that's, that's really fun is to be able to surround yourself with people who are one smarter than you and two, you know, have different skill sets and ultimately have a unique way of thinking about things that are important towards the end goal. And then my least favorite thing, Christy, I'm not a very stressed person. I've definitely learned to manage stress. And I tell our team whenever things are kind of crazy here that we're not heart surgeons, you know, no one's life is in our hands, thankfully, you know, and, you know, no matter how stressful things can be, you know, we're a packaged foods company. We, you know, we're doing something fun. I would say the deductions part are never fun for any brand, you know, you can work so hard and do your absolute best and get into retail and figure out that there's this whole world and every customer is different, but there's this whole new world of deductions and spoils allowance and slottings and free fills and, you know, things that every retailer manages differently. Yeah. And that becomes really challenging to 
wrap your head around and to manage successfully. So, you know, I can tell you that our company last year got back a tremendous amount in correct chargebacks. And that was key really to our survival and growth. But you have to unlike the process in order to do that because there's a lot of learning when it comes time to disputing certain things and making sure that your company gets paid for what's due to them. And that, you know, if you're getting deducted $12,000 for a lost pallet that was actually dropped off, that you have the right tools and the right people to ultimately, you know, fight that and get that back. Wow. Sounds like a lot of things to think about aside from making something really great for consumers. Yeah. Mostly people won't see you on this, but you're smiling the whole time you're talking. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And you have such a calm demeanor. Like I feel like being a founder is such a roller coaster, but it seems like, you know, I mean, I feel like even for me, the highs and lows have to be taken with a grain of salt because the highs are never as good as they seem like they're going to be. And the lows are never as bad as they seem like they're going to be. Absolutely. Yep. (laughs) Exactly right. I think in the beginning, I had a very poor balance, I'd say of, you know, personal life and then work life. I'd say I still have a pretty poor balance today, but I've gotten a lot better. And that's something I think every entrepreneur has to work on is, you know, you're not going to be able to flip a switch and just be able to not check emails at night or, you know, not work every single Saturday of your life, but you have to make really intentional decisions for around, you know, mental health and physical health and spiritual health to be able to give your team what they need. Right. For me, some of those methods have been, I joined CrossFit shortly after I started the company and, you know, obviously I'm not, you know, jacked person, but mentally it's been a really important piece of my day where I can go. It's an hour. It's a regimented exercise. I have team building there. You know, I work up a a great sweat, but I feel so much better after it. And then, you know, other things for me, you know, spending alone time and making sure that you build in creative time into your schedule. So So it? it is, but, you know, as entrepreneurs, it's important to to really build that in because you can never be creative if you have 55 problems no, on your desk you and you're dealing with 85 emails and it's just yep. headaches all day you have to carve out the time whether you know it's walking or driving or sitting in nature or doing something to just let your mind kind of meander that's really important and something i'm still obviously trying to work on too Me too. I think that's the hardest thing, actually, because there's always like, you know, there's always something you could be paying attention to. (laughs) Absolutely. Your brain never gets to say, oh, wait, I have an idea. Like you can't have ideas during those times. All you can do is check off things off a list and cross your fingers that they were the right things. And I don't talk about that with a lot of founders. And I think it's really important. So I'm glad to hear you talking about it because I think you need the space in your brain once in a while to even problem solve. It's not even necessarily creating new things. It's just figuring out different kinds of solutions to things that are already there. So I think that's a great piece of advice. I really appreciate that. Any other advice you want to share with listeners? I would say, you know, persistence and tenacity. I, I know that that's always kind of thrown around the world of entrepreneurship, but Steve Jobs, I think, said it well, where you can't always understand things until you kind of look backwards and you see how a lot of the different dots have all connected. And there's so many times in any business owner's journey where you just sit down and, you know, you see 
debt and you see loans and you see headaches and you see problems and you just sit down and you're like, why am I doing this? And then there's other times where you understand the overall mission and you're creating jobs and you're feeding families and you're mm-hmm. you're doing something that's so much greater than whatever problem is on your screen, right? I think that that's an important framework is there's many times in my personal journey, I can think of times where you know, I wanted to just give up or, you know, I was so discouraged by something major that that happened. And a week later, we get into Whole Foods nationally or something major happens. And that's really, you know, in my opinion, God's way of kind of giving you what you need when you absolutely need it. And some people call it luck. I don't call it luck. You know, I call it, it's really opportunity and it's preparation. You know, we didn't just get lucky to get into whole food. It was a two-year process. You know, yeah. it was it was persistence. It was emails. It was phone calls. It was meetings. It was launching onto Amazon. It was really making sure that, you know, we gave it our best. And when our buyer, who's not our buyer now, but her name was Danielle, who will forever have a place in our company, she gave us a shot. And it was at a time when we really needed that. And, you know, I look back at that moment and say, some people think that one person can't change the world, but I think that that's absolutely wrong. Every person changes your world and our world every single day. And if someone gives you a chance, you know, you don't see, Danielle will never know what her impact has been, right? She gave us a shot and she, she helped us build a brand, which ultimately helped us to build a company, which helped us to create jobs, to feed families, to, you know, create something bigger. So yeah, you know, I think everyone has an important job and thinking of that impact is really important. You know, everyone matters. And if you give someone a chance, sometimes that's, that's all what they need to reach their full potential. It's such good advice and it's so inspiring. I think people get to the point where they feel like it's sort of hopeless and they are so close, but they don't know. They don't know how close they are. So they give up. But I think that's the time when you need to push through because of what you said, like on the other side of that wall that you're pushing through or climbing over, or you just feel like you're never going to get through. There's some great opportunity and you're just preparing for it, but you just, absolutely. and sometimes you just can't see it, but it's there. I think that's really, really compelling advice. And I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anything else? I mean, I love the brand. I love your story. You're you're just delightful to talk to. So I thank you for that. And I just want to know if there's anything else you'd want to share before. we. Thank you, Christy. Thank you again. I think that you're a wonderful leader and I think that you have really amazing podcasts as well. Chomps was also on there, which is another Florida based business, which is exciting. So I think just having a network and being able to ask for help and and being able to meet unique people like you um, is something that I, I greatly enjoy. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to pay it forward as well to any of your listeners who, you know, have any questions or want to learn more about anything in the CPG world, specifically in the food and then beverage space. I've, yeah. I've been there. We are still there, but, you know, happy to be a resource. Oh, thank you so much. I think that's really great. I appreciate that. And I will make sure to mention that when I send out the blog post as well. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.